Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Womenhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Buenilla, and for today's episode, we will be exploring the feminist climate axis in Chile's foreign policy. This episode will be a bit different than previous ones that we have recorded reviewing feminist foreign policy models of other countries, particularly because in the case of Chile, an announcement of a pursuit of a feminist foreign policy model has been made. However, the drafting of such proposal is still taking place, so we still do not have available an official document that we can review and make comments about the different key areas and priorities that the government has uh, lined up for the following years. So taking that in consideration that up to this date, we only have statements available from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs that I will list down below in the description box and several other um, quotes from the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Antonia Urrejola, as well as the president of Chile's, Gabriel Boric's, um, different campaign promises for foreign policy, not only um, connected to feminist foreign policy conversations, but also a new element, which is a turquoise foreign policy. We will be touching upon on different areas, conversations and debates that are currently underway in this specific country, as well as during the region of South America, because Chile, with its announcement of the pursuit of a feminist foreign policy, has become the third country in uh, the Americas region to um, say so after Canada and Mexico as case studies. Um, right now, there is currently underway conversations taking place in Colombia for a feminist foreign policy model. I wanted to address the two of them, Chile and Colombia, in this episode but decided to record it separately because the different approaches that each country has towards feminism, towards foreign policy and multilateralism, as well as their different views of the WPS agenda implementation domestically in the case of Colombia with the armed conflict, but also internationally in terms of the bigger picture and you know the way that they relate to other countries in the region as well as in other parts of the world, you know, require proper time and proper research. So I will address here the case of Chile, but keep in mind that a following episode will be on the conversations taking place in Colombia on feminist foreign policy models. I invite you to check the interview that we have done with the International Women's Development Agency in Australia. They launched a report on the feminist foreign policy trajectories and we discussed from the origins to the announcements to the implementation of feminist foreign policy models that we have so far, what are the challenges, what are the successes, I invite you to check the report and I invite you once again to listen from these experts that were leading this research and uh, um, learn more. Okay, so let's begin with the case of Chile. And what has been said, what prompted this pursuit of a feminist foreign policy? Um, it has been said from several months prior to the 2021 elections, um, presidential elections in Chile, that Gabriel Boric as a candidate was pursuing a feminist agenda. Um, there, there were many criticisms towards his figure as 
it happens in politics, um, whether he was trying to gain women's votes, um, you know, in comparison to other um, political candidates of the presidential race, or whether he was true a true feminist or not. However, when he was elected um, in 2021, his platform of government was mainly pursuing not only feminist um, values in terms of the ideas and the proposals for policies domestically and abroad, but also environmental ones. And um, this is key aspect at this point to understand because though he was elected in December 2021, he assumed office just a couple of months ago. We are talking about March 2022 that he took office as president of Chile. And he was one of the political figures prior to the election that led um, the conversations for a constitutional referendum in response to the many complaints that led to the social unrest in Chile during the 2019 protests. And um, then the, the pandemic hit in 2020, and we know how that went. Um, but in the case of Chile, a lot of transformation was uh, taking place socially, politically, economically. And um, the 2021 elections basically um, sealed the deal to say it in a way that, you know, the new constitution needed to be um crafted and it needed to be contemporary or modern um, or more allied to the values and visions of the Chilean society of today rather than the Chilean society that inherited or were dealing with the aftermath of the dictatorship of um, Augusto Pinochet. So when Boric took office one of the immediate actions that, you know, he took was to assign 14 of the 24 ministries to women representatives. They were key political posts, including the Ministry of Interior, of Justice, of Defense, as well as Foreign Affairs. And for the first time, according to Human Rights Watch organization, the Ministry of Women and Gender Equality was seen as part of the core um, political team of the government um, instead of just a by side, you know, ministry. Um, interesting to note that the gender parity um, that Boric um, created with this decision was unprecedented in the case of Chile, 14 out of 24 ministries. We are talking about more than 50%. Um, and um, we, we can challenge the norm of the gender quotas and we can talk about 50-50 conversation, but it is key aspect to explore here that the assignments were not only given to quote-unquote soft policy areas such as education or health or ministries but also interior foreign affairs um, justice defense you know these are considered quote-unquote hard uh, areas of um, power for better, for worse, for good, for bad, you know, key areas that, you know, we are seeking to denormalize through feminist lenses, as well as advocacy, scholarship, and different um, analyses 
of how can we improve <laughs> the way and the state of the world. So when Antonia Urrejola became Minister of Foreign Affairs, um, she had a background already of um, human rights defense as a lawyer, as well as a consultant and advisor of uh, the human rights for the Ministry of Interior between 2003 and 2005 in Chile. But Internationally, she was well known as uh, president of the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights, um, one of the divisions of the Organization of American States, or the OEA or OAS, um, depending on where you're from, you may know this acronym. This is very relevant to two areas of feminist foreign policy conversations. The first one has to do with Boric's um, campaign promises. Um, Boric um, campaign promises included the, the seeking of a feminist, anti-racist, and inclusive foreign policy where parity and the correction, quote, correction of the sub-representation of women in power positions um, is, you know, key aspect of a foreign policy of Chile, where the um, um, pursuit and compliance of international uh, mechanisms um, to eradicate uh, violence against women and girls, including the convention Belém do Para, as well as the Inter-American um, Commission of Women and the UN Women's Agendas were implemented or encouraged or promoted the um, seeking of a multilateral approach to human rights and women's rights protection, as well as um, the pursuit of a foreign policy and trade policy internationally that was decentralized from um, the government positions, not only in terms of feminist uh, values through the gender equality lens, but also through the uh, environmental route, which is the proposal, according to Boric's campaign, of the um, turquoise foreign policy. And at this point, you may be asking, like, Natalia, you're saying the wrong word was turquoise um i don't know i have heard it so many ways that i don't know which which is the correct one i depending on different countries the sound of the word changes so i just stopped trying to be correct on the term because i've heard it turquoise and i've heard it turquoise turquoise and turquoise i i don't know it's politica exterior turquesa which is the color, the name of the color that mixes blue and green. And according to Boric's campaign, this type of uh, foreign uh, policy, <laughs> once again, sorry if I'm not saying the word correctly in English, um, seeks to, to, to look for agendas that fight against the climate crisis which is considered the green component and uh, the protection of the oceans um, from the um, addition to the Escazú agreement as well as the fight against overfishing. Um, this is the blue component, you know, the oceans is the blue component of this color that I don't know how to um, say it properly in English. Um, I know that Wherever you are, depending on your country, 
I'm saying it correctly, but once again, I don't, I don't know <laughs> this word how to say it um, in a universal way. Um, about overfishing, I do want to remind you that we have recorded a review on the documentary Seas Piracy that was launched, I think, last year, 2021, and it caused us a complete uproar on social media and. You know, it's a Netflix documentary and is very, very um, hard to watch if you're into climate change and if you're interested in learning, you know, different ways that, you know, the oceans are being contaminated and polluted and um, why a lot of the uh, species in the, in the sea, in the oceans are being um are at the point of extinction. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you have heard this um, quote or estimate that by 2050, the oceans will be, you know, completely um, empty of fishes. Like there will not be <laughs> a lot of fishes left if we continue the, the harmful practices of overfishing and um, exploitation of the seas. I mean, it's a very difficult um, subject to address here. Um, but I invite you to check it out. The documentary is uh, good in several ways. Of course, it tackles uh, different controversial topics as any documentary, any good documentary out there is supposed to make you think about life and about what your government is doing and what's happening behind the, the scenes. Um, but I find it very fascinating that, you know, through Boric's campaign and when Urehola um, began office or took office as the Minister of uh, Foreign Affairs, this was upheld, you know, like, uh, and that's why I find fascinating of the case of Chile, is that they are seeking two lines of work through, um, I wouldn't say lines of work, maybe the word could be lines of focus, because foreign policy you you have the same areas you just you know have different ideas on how to approach those areas um so perhaps that's the better word two approaches to foreign policy which are the environment particularly the marine and biodiversity and oceans not necessarily the land or the territories which i find very fascinating in the case of Chile that has uh, different struggles of indigenous people seeking their recognition of autonomous um, and independent nations. Um, so they didn't talk about it, um, perhaps because it's foreign affairs, yes, but also, you know, to avoid criticism in a way internationally. And secondly, the, the feminist uh, stance, you know, and, and the feminist uh, foreign policy. And about feminist foreign policy model that is currently underway and, you know, supposed to be drafted uh, according to, to the ministry statements that I'm listing down below in the description box. Once again, I invite you to do your own research and check the different sources available online in your own country, as we know, you know, Different search engines have different types of information available. Uh, we are living in a post-truth era. 
Um, Antonia Urejola has said in one of these statements that um, the feminist foreign policy model that they are um, proposing to pursue will look at gender in a transversal way um, and they are looking to have inclusive language and non-discriminatory language within the um, Cancilleria, within the ministry that in also is uh, subjected or will make norms and regulations subjected to change to, you know, this inclusive language usage. Um, they also, the seeking of uh, more women in a, um, political participation processes in all different levels within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs um, areas of work and the strengthening of visibility and transparency um, in terms of gender. That's uh, interesting to note here. About this topic, just recently, um, I'm thinking this week, I'm going to list it down below in the description box, the statement. Urejola said that they are looking to um, focus on multilateral agreements uh, connected to the implementation of the Women, Peace and Security Agenda to uh, strengthen the actions to eradicate violence against women and girls in the framework of the CEDAW or um, the Convention of Elimination of Discrimination Against Women. And lastly, the promotion of sexual and reproductive rights uh, considering priority, according to Rehola, the rights of LGBTIQ community. Okay, this is the information that we have so far in the case of Chile. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs have said that they are still drafting the model. So once it is available, it is expected that a presentation will take place just as a presentation happened in the past uh, two or three months for the turquoise foreign policy of Chile. I'm going to list it down below in the description box, the statement of that specific policy. Um, once it is available and ready to, you know, uh, be read, I will probably do a review on it uh, for the podcast, but I also want to make a mention that during Boric's campaign, the conversation of a feminist foreign policy model or the in an inclusive uh, foreign policy um, was expected to be decentralized and participatory. We are still only eight months with this new administration in Chile and perhaps it is too too quick or too complex to engage with civil society conversations or to bring a participatory model in the drafting of a feminist foreign policy model for Chile um, when we have been seeing in the past few months that the main focus of the administration of Boric has been particularly to have a new constitution and the biggest news is that 
early September, the majority of the voters in Chile voted against or rejected the proposal of a new constitution. So perhaps, you know, talking about the launch of a feminist foreign policy so early on when there are other pressing issues domestically, you know, taking priority um, is a key aspect. Um, another criticism in the case of Chile and is tied to the second point that I'm going to address in a bit is that you know there were many scholars, lawyers, and uh, political analysts, uh, even feminist political analysts, uh, that believed the um, feminist foreign policy model or values should not be ingrained at all in a new constitution, which was uh, something that they considered to be pushing too far the... Uh, the vision for Chile um, and that other issues needed to take precedent before, you know, institutionalizing a feminist foreign policy model. Um, I find that criticism very valuable to explore and to analyze uh, at this early stage, but also as a um, reminder for other feminist foreign policy models in other parts of the world particularly after we see or ha we have been seeing the fallout of the feminist foreign policy model in Sweden, which was the most comprehensive up to this date. And, you know, the new government this year decided in Sweden to not continue pursuing a feminist foreign policy model after um, close to eight years of implementation from 2014 announcement. Um, so, these are key areas to explore and the second relevant issue is connected to the IWDA interview that we featured in the podcast, which is the origins and the trajectories of feminist foreign policy models from the global north and the global south. In the case of Chile, in case you didn't know, this was interesting to, to explore. Um, Chile has one of the highest representations of women in foreign affairs. We are talking that 19 out of the 68 people working as ambassadors in uh, um, foreign embassies of Chile, 19 out of 68 are women, comprising up to 27 0.9% in total of representation, the highest representation of females in political positions of foreign affairs in the region of Latin America. Um, only close to Chile is Colombia with 26.7%, Mexico with 23.3%, and Argentina um, in the fourth position with 19.2%. According to the Women in Diplomacy Index 2022, I'm going to list it down below in the description box. Why is this relevant? Why is it important? We are seeing the um, decision of Boric not only to um, create gender parity in uh, the cabinet of, you know, 14 out of 24 posts of ministries are held by women, um, then we have that the number of female representatives abroad is the highest in the region of Latin America. But also you are seeing that the seeking of a feminist foreign policy model 
could be another groundbreaking aspect of this administration. Could be, I'm saying. The word could be because um, they are the first ones in uh, the South American region to say that they will pursue a feminist foreign policy. The first one, followed by Colombia, which has already said that they will pursue uh, just two months uh, prior to this date. They have uh, said so uh, with Gustavo Petro's government. But if they develop this uh, feminist foreign policy model, they will become the third one in the region of the Americas after Canada and Mexico to actually have a proper feminist foreign policy model with an emphasis particularly on multilateralism. And I find that um, very innovative and very tricky um, because we are seeing that they are perhaps with the conversations of the previous constitution that was rejected, you know, trying to bite too much or, you know, chew too much, um, you know, whether you focus on the environment or climate change or you focus on, you know, feminist uh, standpoints and feminist stand views. Um, interestingly enough, they have not yet launched their own definition of what a feminist foreign policy would look like or should look like according to Sheila's eyes. I find that interesting. But with the IWDA report, we are seeing that the trend is alluring um, in many ways. First, you know, like the announcement of a feminist foreign policy model as a um, symbol that the government is progressive and, you know, very different than previous ones. And, you know, the um, reinforcement of this idea that oh we are gonna be the first ones in south america to launch it you know like why is this so important to say so like is this going to grant you you know that a specific type of countries which some of you may already know who and which um you know look at you with better eyes like what what is what is being trying to prove with this, you know? Then the conversation of parity, of, you know, trying to correct the sub-representation of women and trying to, you know, um, address poverty and peace and security issues with women with a priority on uh, the sexual and reproductive rights of particularly um, LGBTIQ um, community or persons from, you know, identifying from different sexual orientations and gender identities um, is kind of excluding or invisibilizing other intersectional factors that, you know, affect, um, you know, people's experiences regardless of their gender and sex you know such as race class education and you know ethnicity and more um something that could you know be um prompting eyes domestically with what's happening to different ethnicities and populations in within chile as well as abroad and you know this sense of placing so much power into multilateralism you know is 
very fascinating this approach because we have not been seeing that too much from other countries um, from the north and I, I find that very interesting that per, for example in the terms of uh, female representation Chile and even Colombia have the high higher representation female representation in a um, foreign post higher than France and Spain past imperialistic powers in the case of Spain previous colonizer of many countries in Latin America so it puts a lot of things into perspective once we go into the route of representation and numbers and statistics you know the quantitative research of gender equality or gender parity but out of everything that I've read, once again, I do not hold the truth out of everything that's going on because I'm not from Chile and I'm just, you know, analyzing it from abroad. In the case of a feminist foreign policy models, I find it very interesting that the conversation has not stared too much focus on parity, but rather on what can we do in the case of Chile, what can Chile do to engage with other partners other countries that are similar or not so similar to implement the international laws and mechanisms already in place to reduce gender inequality to reduce uh, violence against women to protect the oceans and you know look forward to um, conserve conservation efforts and you know stop overfishing and more so I find it interesting this approach I'm looking forward to see it you know uh, fully implemented because once again words you know paper can um, have a lot of space for words but in practice something um, different may occur which brings me to the last topic that I wanted to address here, which was the visit of the Subsecretary of Foreign Affairs of Chile, Simena Fuentes, that met early October with the Vice Minister of Foreign Affairs of Saudi Arabia, Walid al-Kuraiji. Um, Simena Fuentes went uh, to Saudi Arabia with a delegation from Chile um, to discuss um, many matters in terms of trade and cooperation. And... Uh, this visit, you know, was so controversial for so many reasons that I'm still, you know, trying to grasp because there are so many layers as to why many um, Chilean political analysts and feminists and advocates of human rights were so against this visit and, you know, started joking that a feminist foreign policy in Chile would not work. And, you know, I started reading the different um, commentaries and opinion articles and, you know, threads on Twitter, trying to understand the dimensions of the... Um, the optics of the photos were perhaps a bit unsurprising for many of us that are working on women's rights and, you know, talking about feminist foreign policy and researching on this. Is a typical photo of a female official sitting down on a table that is mostly comprised of male officials. So from the eyes of those that are researching this, um, you know, on a daily basis, perhaps you would not find this unsurprising at all, you know, taking in consideration the history of Saudi Arabia, considering the um, status of Saudi Arabia and situation of women there and the women's rights, um, human rights 
you know, if we talk about war, if we talk about freedom of press, we will find a lot of issues going on there. <laughs> um, but the 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 surprise element, or the um, I wouldn't say surprise, people were very concerned and appalled and angry, even if that's a better word, at you know seeing a subsecretary of Chile. Of, of foreign affairs of Chile travel there and you know what were her motives to you know go and speak to these men and you know take photos with them um you know it, it would Chile find pride in uh, strengthening relations with a country like Saudi Arabia um the main criticism across the board is if you're pursuing a feminist foreign policy model, you know, why would you want to go visit one of the countries with the poor record on women's rights and, you know, to try to get scolded by, you know, male officials of this uh, country that will try to, you know, put you down as a female representative or so and so, you know, like the, the whole conversation there. Um, is a very tricky from an outsider perspective to address this. I would love to know your thoughts because um, I don't know if you're from Chile or another part of Latin America. How do you view this situation? But what I want to bring to the table as a reflection for other feminist foreign policy scholars out there that are listening, if you focus on this topic is it happened already with Sweden. Now it's happening with Chile. What is there a fascination from quote-unquote progressive, quote-unquote Eurocentric views of equality and feminism, quote-unquote liberal feminism in foreign policy to go to Saudi Arabia, go to the Middle East? Like, why is there a fascination to always go to the Middle East. I really find it interesting that we are seeing a pattern. Like, female officials of ministries of foreign affairs that have launched feminist foreign policy models, we are not seeing them, you know, causing an uproar because they are visiting Ghana or the Dep Democratic Republic of Congo or they are visiting Timor Leste or the Philippines or... Australia, no, like somehow is as if, you know, if you have a feminist foreign policy model, how can you go to one of the most repressive, quote unquote, countries with the most deteriorating situation of women's rights, according to many indexes of international organisms, to kind of make your point that a feminist foreign policy is necessary? You know, is, is Saudi Arabia somehow the testing round for feminist foreign policy models? Like, what is the deal with this country? I do get it that, you know, is an economic power. And I do get it that uh, they have a lot of money and it is one of the biggest players in the region of the Middle East. I do get it that that's true. But, you know, Chile and Saudi Arabia do not have a very close and long-standing history of relations. So 
you know, it's interesting um, from the part of feminist uh, standpoint to uh, explore, but also from the environmental one, which is the other critic that, you know, was very present on uh, Chile's media and, you know, in different um, political forums, which is, you know, if you're pursuing a turquoise foreign policy, um why go meet with saudi arabia which is one of the main exporters of petroleum and you know is engaging in a war in yemen and you know if you are so for protecting the environment and if you're so pro you know tackling climate change and if you're so pro human rights Uh, defense and protection how is it possible that you're overlooking what happened with Kasogi you're overlooking you know the situation of women's you're overlooking the war in Yemen you are overlooking you know the um, you know the, the fossil fuel dependency of this country and you know the different things that you know we know and may not know about the dealings of the kingdom and the government per se like You know, the the hypocrisy as a word was circling too much on many fronts in this specific meeting. Um, you know, this is a very new government and I have no doubt that Boric's administration is bringing to Chile a new or perhaps advanced or perhaps, you know, cool or trendy way of, you know, moving forward from, you know, a very dark past. Um, but, you know, is this type of events, particular meetings that can make or break you know, the legitimacy of what you're trying to pursue. Or in the best case scenario, kind of make people wonder if you're real or faking it, you know, because, you know, people will start doubting about these proposed, you know, whether the turquoise or the feminist foreign policy models, you know, what what are you, what is your deal? Um, and this conversation brought to the table the question of whether Chile should cut ties with countries that do not have the same values as Chile in terms of human rights or in terms of climate change or environmental protection and more. And this is a very important question. I think that with the Ukraine-Russia conflict, you know, kind of brought to the table the perception that the world has divided into, you know, those that, you know, were supporting Ukraine and those that were supporting Russia or were against the West kind of bullying their way into everybody's business. So, so interestingly enough, this question of whether states should relate to other states that are similar to them in terms of values, in terms of foreign policy models, in terms of views of how to, you know, work or trade or, you know, defend the world or, 
you know whatever it is that they want to pursue um, or should they be forced to relate to other countries that they may not have anything in common with but you know because of trade or because of natural resources dependency or fossil fuels dependency they must do so you know like we can talk about the case of China and what's happening in Africa. Many countries did not want China to come in and, you know, get parts of, you know, their countries. But, you know, China offered a lot of money and they needed the infrastructure and they needed the advancement in several um, technologic ways. And, you know, you may not necessarily agree with China, and you don't have to because China is not, you know, asking you to defend it or, you know, advocate for the same values as them, etc., which is a breather in comparison to countries like the United States, for example, that is like, you know, you need to comply to my standards if you want to receive my help. <laughs> You're like, why? Um, and you need to allow me to meddle in your business if you want to, you know whatever whatever it is that you need to engage in which is one of the reasons that many countries in latin america do not want the united states but when a crisis occurs like what's happening in peru right now or what's happening in brazil everybody's looking up and asking uncle sam where are you we need you you know do something etc which is a harmful harmful way um very ingrained in our psyche during these past 100 years of um, American imperialism. <sighs> yeah, I could go that route. But um, returning to that question of should states that have feminist foreign policy models cut ties with those that do not care about women's rights? or feminist values for that matter, or environmental ones if you want to pursue a turquoise foreign policy. Um, I don't know, but the logic says is very possible. Energetically, it works, you know, like if we can talk about energetics, you attract what is alike and you repel what is not alike you know like and we can go in psychology as well we can define ourselves in front of the other so we bond and create groups and communities with people that are similar to us and those that are not similar to us and we can also go into nationalistic uh, views, you know, the, the work of Anthony D. Smith addresses this um, and talks about this too, you know, like how do we create nations, you know, how do we create communities? We don't create communities based on, you know, those that are different than us, then that's how we make a community. Um, but we can build communities that are diverse if the values are aligned. You know, we can have a pluridiverse in terms of ethnicity and in terms of religions community that uphold a very specific set of other values that are not necessarily based on religion, but, you know, based on sociology or psychology or survival instincts. You know, like we can 
go that <laughs> rabbit hole and start exploring through there. But, you know, I, I, I wonder if we are moving towards that because, you know, feminist foreign policy models conversation is increasing up to the point where, you know, we are forming a club. Those that have feminist foreign policy models will be probably the majority at one point and then we will not have to use the term anymore. Or right now, there's only close to 10 countries that have announced or have, you know, developed a feminist foreign policy model or have an aspect of their foreign policy that has a feminist aspect. Um so so they are forming kind of a club you know <laughs> why so you know you can congratulate amongst yourselves while the other ones are you know the 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 backward thinking that you know create foreign policies based on you know realist or liberalist views oh they're so far behind like what is it that we are trying to form is it feminist at all or are we disguising the same only with prettier lenses or prettier lenses according to us you know not necessarily according to everybody or according to what's better for the future of a nation's survival or a state's survival you know for that matter um i don't know I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about this question because we are moving towards it seems I don't I don't have <laughs> the crystal ball here <laughs> but it seems <laughs> that we are moving towards a more polarizing world. I don't know if you have felt it in your community or in your country that you know things are so so polarized that the moment that you stare away from the mainstream current even if you don't agree with it at all or just in part then you're cancelled or you're shunned or you are you know sent away or you're hated or someone will try to do you harm for some weird reason i don't know um we have not talked about the connection between the environment and the feminist, whether we can consider Sheila's vision an ecofeminist one, because they are approaching the two in a different presentations rather than uniting the two, which I find that very fascinating. Um, but I don't want to stand forward because we're reaching the hour. I'm going to leave it here. I would love to know your thoughts if you're from Chile and you're following what's happening in your country in terms of feminist foreign policy model or the Torquas uh, foreign policy. Please do let me know because I would love to interview you if you're interested and, you know, explore this deeper. What are the dynamics? What's going on in your own country? I'm an observer of the feminist foreign policy trackings and um, I do not hold the truth on what's happening in each country and would love to know what's happening in your specifically if you're open to it and um, yeah we'll um, post another episode on the case of Colombia 
in the following days so be on the lookout for that if you want to support our growth please check our patreon community uh, we have different ways that you can support our work and different parts and uh, um events that you can join if you're interested to continue the conversation remember to follow us on social media we are currently on twitter on instagram on linkedin and on telegram at womenhood underscore ir looking forward to listening to your comments and reading your views and thank you so much once again for tuning in talk to you soon